Welcome to this Let's Talk Gardening podcast. Three times in 2023, Ray and Faye spoke with Johnny Profumo, otherwise known as the Frog Doctor. This is a compilation of those chats that we hope will inspire you to make your garden a haven for frogs. And be honest, who doesn't want that? Following those informative sessions is the interview the girls do with another frog lover, Jodie Rowley, from the Australian Museum in Sydney, about just how important frogs are. This is very educational segment and well worth a listen. You're listening to Let's Talk Gardening with Ray and Faye. We are going to be crossing right now to the frog doctor, Johnny Profumo. Now, Faye tells me he's actually on a boat. Johnny, are you there? You're with Ray and Faye. Uh, yes, I'm supposed to be on a boat. We're just uh, holding off until we do the interview, and I'm looking over the lovely Wester Harbour in, in Albany. Oh, my wow. goodness. Well, thank you yeah. for that. We appreciate Well, <laughs> no thank worries. you to the powers of modern technology. You're in Albany and we're in Perth. <laughs> yes, 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 good. I, I feel sorry for the fellow that did the uh, had the olives and cut off all the flowers. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. Oh, well, lesson learned. We've yes, all made mistakes, we, yeah, haven't we? That's how we learn. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh, so, Johnny, okay. you are known as the Frog Doctor. And mm. I was just telling Ray that it's interesting in your past life, you were a frog man. Yeah, yes, that's right. I was a Navy diver. Right. And mm. today you're heading out on the harbour diving. Yes, yes. Yeah, it never leaves you. Yeah, in some way or form, the, yeah. the frogs get you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so today we're going to do a beginner's guide to frogscaping. And, ah, yes, yes. And I was saying that mm. frogs are a sign of a healthy garden. And you kind of added to that um, by talking about an abundance of motorbike frogs. So I'll just hand over to you and and let you speak. Sure. Sure. Um, so I guess the first thing with uh, frogscaping, uh, part one uh, for beginners, is, is knowing your frogs. And yeah. when I talk about uh, any kind of animals or any, any part of the, your, your, your landscaping, I like to talk about the, the ecology and the biology. And so I've coined this term called the ology. And it's kind of like looking at the religion of the animal. And so in today we're talking about the frogology. And um, so frogology is about understanding the biology. The first thing you need to know is just know the biology and the ecology of the animal and just say, okay, that water body, most people associate a water body with, uh, with frogs and they need that water to, to breed. That's why they want that water. But the rest of the time they're actually on land. The reason why they're on land is that they eat things that we call, well, insects and invertebrates. They eat insects, ground-dwelling insects mainly. And so you just got to understand that part of your habitat garden or part of your habitat, your frogology, is, is about understanding those life cycles. So know your frogs for a starter. Mm. So we've got in the metro area, you've got about, seven to eight frog species, but the ones that are really um, easy to attract and accommodate are mainly the motorbike frogs and the slender tree frogs. And so they probably like the most amount of water out of the whole lot of them. And then you understand what's part of their life cycles that you've got to cater for. And that, that 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 time in the pond is about their breeding cycle and the metamorphosis. So when you're setting up your pond, it's very important to understand where you're going to position it. And sunlight is very important for, for your um, frogscaping. What, now I'll ask you a question. What, the ta- what do frogs eat? Uh, snails, Insects? moths. Yeah, yep. And beetles and slaters and all kinds of things that we probably call pests. Cockroaches yeah. included. Oh, good. <laughs> so they're doing your service. Yeah, definitely. So they're awake at night. And so whilst, whilst they're awake at night, so are a lot of those other um, kind of pests. And w- w- when I do my talks, it's like when, those, when, 
when you're sleeping, those frogs are creeping. It sounds a bit weird, but yeah. I, I often um, find frog droppings near my windows, you know, around the house. That's like yeah. they've been sitting on the windowsill looking in the house or something. Watching you yeah, sleep. exactly. <laughs> so when I, when I go out to school groups, I actually collect that frog poo. Yeah. And you put that frog poo in a jar and it dissipates and out comes the shells of different animals. So you can tell what they're eating. exactly what they eat. Yeah. yeah. And so you've got to make sure that you um, understand that frogs eat those kinds of insects. So what do tadpoles eat? Uh, algae, mm. uh, they're herbivores, aren't they? Yeah, they're mainly herbivores. They will have a bit of protein. If one of them dies, they'll get stuck into the other one. Um, oh, aren't they awful? Yeah, mm. but they're mainly, but you've got to understand what they eat. So mm. having sunlight is, is important, not too much sunlight. So your positioning of your pond, you need to look at um, protecting your westerly aspect, even looking at a northerly aspect. So you've got a dappled kind of sunlight uh, during the summer. Uh, full sun during the winter is is no problem, but that sunlight is there for algae to grow. And the, the tadpoles actually eat the film of algae that grows on plants, and that's why they're so important in the ecosystem because they actually um, allow the plant to photosynthesize a whole lot more efficiently, and so it makes a stronger um, system. So the the more healthy your plants, the healthier the whole system is. So more oxygen and more nutrient cleansing and all the rest of it. So, um, so understanding what frogs eat and what tadpoles eat, and knowing that your positioning of your pond is paramount to those uh, tadpoles developing into frogs. Yeah. Mm. So, and I guess so, what you plant around it to make it look good has yep. to also be uh, providing shelter and perhaps attracting yeah. insects yeah. that will exactly. come in at night time, I guess. Yeah. So what do plants do? Yeah. So when you look at what plants do, you, you, they anchor the soil, they provide um, oxygen for the wet, wetland in the wetland area, and uh, also they nutrient strip. Um, and the other thing they do is they perform, provide many sites for the frogs to call. So they, you know, they provide that protection um, kind of facet. So when you're selecting your plants, selecting them for both your wetland as well as your dry area is really important. Um, and the water body itself uh, needs to have uh, logs, um, both uh, horizontal kind of logs. So motorbike frogs like to kind of bask in the sun and... Um, and then they want to be able to jump in the water or jump somewhere for to avoid uh, any untoward kind of animals, predators, I should say. And what what are so, their predators, uh, Johnny? Oh, look, frog biomass. When I say um, biomass, it's like the eggs and the tadpoles and the frog themselves. Ninety-five mm. percent of frog biomass is food for other animals. Mm. It's like complete protein. Right. It's soft, yeah. So your birds, your reptiles, other frogs. So if you've got too many motorbike frogs and you try to introduce the smaller frogs, well, they're just going to be tucker for the motorbike frogs. So what do you do but... if you've got too many motorbike frogs? What? Oh, I... how can you have too many motorbike frogs? Well, <laughs> <laughs> well that, that's really great. You know, if I'm a beginner, if you want to stay yeah. at, the, at the beginner's thing, fine. And if you're in an urban landscape, that may be the only frog that you can actually accommodate. Attract. because. Yeah, because the motorbike frog is probably more of a generalist frog and it's not as habitat-specific as the other kinds of frogs. Right. But we'll get to that when we get to the advanced frogscaping. <laughs> oh. which, which, yeah. which frogs are the ones that hang out in the ground? Well, can we do that later? Because you're going to okay. start me down the road. Yeah, Another there's... rabbit hole. Yes. Okay, okay. Yes. understood. Yeah. Um, get distracted easily so yes no it's it's good to stay on task because like we said this this one this lesson is for beginners so Mm. um does it does your pond have to be a certain depth uh yeah yep yep but there are dimensions to a pond um the reason being is that um there's there needs to be a critical like a critical mass for 
it's about maintaining the bacteria, the bacteria in the sand. So when in your pond area, um, and I have sent you a frogscaping guide, oh. uh, and there's a certain area, area to depth um, dimensions. And so when you're looking at um, anything past or shallower than um, 35 um, centimetres, you may have to uh, intervene with a bit of a water pump or something like that. And that's quite a nice little water feature to, to churn the water over, but it's about um, keeping the bacteria happy during the summer. And if anyone's ever had an aquarium, you, you do go through a mini kind of uh, chemistry, you know, crash course in chemistry because yeah. you've got to know what the ammonia is doing and things like that. And it's exactly the same as your pond. It's about... Um, making sure you keep the bacteria happy. And if you can keep the bacteria happy and you know what the plants do, in the presence of oxygen, when you're, when you're, and you'll be putting little native fish in, of course, to eat the, keep the mosquito larvae going, um, uh, eaten, you know. And um, so when, you, when you've got the right kind of equilibrium happening, the, the waste product from the fish and the tadpoles that's basically ammonia. And in the presence of oxygen, it goes to nitrite and then it goes around to nitrate and then the plants take up the nitrate. And this, so, folks, is called the nitrogen cycle. Mm. Yeah. yeah, so frog allergy isn't just straightforward putting a pond in. You've got to know the position, yeah. you've got to know the depth and you've got to be able to cater for the bacteria. So the bacteria live in a, uh, like a substrate of about a centimetre to two centimetres of um of washed kind of sand and so you make sure that's in the base and you put your plants in um they're aquatic plants uh, i do have a, a plant list as well and i'll have quite a few plants on display at the Kalamunda show as well to, oh. to take people through through those um and so yeah the plants um vital vital for oxygen and all the rest of them that i told you about before and then you've got the structures so you've got structures such as wood so you've got both horizontal but i use um i like to use vertical pieces of wood near the pond as well mm. uh, and that will go we'll talk about those uh vertical pieces of wood in our next episode because we're talking about other animals as well. So, Johnny, if uh, people are interested and you've sort of sparked uh, interest and enthusiasm, is there a website they can go to to have a read? Or I have got a I've got a Facebook page and an Instagram, and I am developing my um, website as we speak. So, the Frog Doctor, if you Just, look up the Frog okay, Doctor on okay. Facebook, and um, yeah, it, and I'll, I've got. Um, info information sheets as well oh, and great. I'm doing yeah. a whole lot of different workshops around ah, the place. Okay, this is what people will want to know and people, obviously listeners could come and meet you next Sunday at the Kalamunda Garden Festival and have a chat with you. One fifteen, I believe. That's, that's, that's when correct. you're doing your talk? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. in the Tony and Sons Marquee? which I will yeah. be emceeing at the mm. Kalamunda Garden oh. Festival. So uh, yeah. people need to get their tickets or they can get tickets at the gate. Yeah. And, and there's a load of different talks on the day. Um, so your yeah. talk is titled Creating a Habitat Garden, How to Attract Those Small Critters That Do the Heavy Lifting in Your Patch. So definitely today yeah. is just an introduction. Mm -hmm. And like you said, Johnny, it's a rabbit hole. And I really look forward to having you back again and perhaps having you in the studio that would be great. so that we can step through the, the different stages because I think we've all got a lot that we can learn. Oh, cheers. Okay. Yeah, oh. well, I look forward to it. All right. We'll let you get on with your diving. What do, yes. you, what do you dive yeah. for? Um. Yeah, whatever's there, fish. Yeah. 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 Um, do there's crabs around or... Yeah. Things. Just see what you can it's get. Nice to be able to get. Yeah, kind of clean out your sinuses, get back yeah. to... Nice, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know. Meditate. So yeah. That's It is a form of meditation, yeah. so yeah. I'm going to go and meditate. All right. <laughs> Enjoy well, that, and yes. we'll catch you next week. All right. Okay. Thanks, Johnny. Lovely talking to you. Yes, it was great. Thank you. All Thank you.
Bye. Bye. Well, we do have Johnny Perfumo online. Johnny is the frog doctor. Good morning, Johnny. You're with Ray and Faye. How are you? I'm well. Can you hear me okay? We can yes. hear you fine. Loud and clear. Good. good. Yeah, where are, where are we talking to you from today, Johnny? I'm at home in Jalorup. Oh, nice. Oh, lovely part of the country. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh. Uh, yeah, the birds are singing and, and, and also uh, we've had our first rain, so... The frogs are calling, and um, so the moaning frogs have started their their call. Oh wow! So when yeah. we last talked to you, we we talked about frogs that might be around the garden, uh, the the slender tree frogs and the motorbike frogs. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So moaning frogs are they around Perth as well? Yes, they are. Um, oh. They probably the museum gets more phone calls for the for the moaning frog than any other frog, and it kind of goes like this. Significant. I'll just shut them off for now. <laughs> I uh, thought that was you. <laughs> Sorry. I thought that was you making that noise. Uh, well, it depends on what kind of what time of the day you get me. <laughs> During the day, it's not a good time to for a frog to call. No. <laughs> right. Yeah. So they um, the, the, the the moaning frogs are really interesting because they live in the dry land. Uh, you know, most of their life, ninety nine percent of the time, ninety five percent of the time. And then the the equinox um, is is the trigger for the males to go down to a wetland, preferably like a seasonal wetland, and and they dig themselves into about a foot, and then uh, come the first rains is the trigger for them to start calling for the girls. And the reason why their calls are so loud and so synchronised is that they have to get they have to get the message out. Come come over here, girls. And they, <laughs> oh. Yeah, so the girls are quite spread out in the landscape, in the dry landscape. Um, and so the females go down there. And unfortunately, when you're driving on a wet night and you see a whole lot of frogs crossing the road, mm. the ones that you're running over are actually um, are females. Oh, dear. And Yeah, so they all um, go on this march and, and get down to the wetland. They've, the males have burrowed down about a foot and they... When they mate, they, they produce this egg and the egg turns into tadpoles, of course. It goes through this beautiful thing called metamorphosis. But the, both then the adults actually get out of the burrow because they actually can't swim. And um, so they, they get out and the tadpole, the egg turns into a tadpole, squirms around on the dry soil. Oh. Yes. And then... It gets flooded. That little chamber burrow gets flooded, and then the little tadpoles um, actually go get flushed out into the water, and they go through their metamorphosis in in that water. But as soon as the, they're metamorphosized, they're, they've developed into frogs. They're straight back up on the dry land. So but a lot of the time, I get a phone call from somebody who's been digging in their garden. Yeah, I've had that happen. Mm. And, so and I'll come up. How long does that take? It takes about eight weeks. So they want to coincide it with the first rains and the flooding of the wetland. So, yeah, with, with climate change and, you know, declining water from both groundwater and, and water from the sky, it does make it hard on these particular frogs and they are a very good indicator because they live for about 15 to 20 years and so they're equivalent to the carnaby cockatoo. Because they're long-lived, mm. and if you don't see recruitment of the little frogs coming through, you won't know that you've actually your your populations, you know, disappeared. Diminishing and it's that. happened a lot in the um, in Perth or any kind of areas that's urbanised. And the, you know, the parks and gardens associate frogs with water, uh, and mm. it's not the it's not the case with our West Australian frogs. And so, yeah, they're the foot, first footers, I call them, the, the moaning frogs, and quite an iconic frog. Probably, you know, if you live, like I live about 500 metres or so from a wetland, I have them on my place because I, I just have, um, I've got a lot of leaf litter, and um, they live 
throughout the year. So for me to go frogging during the summer, it's easy. I just walk out to the side at night and, and um, they're out foraging and, and getting bugs and, you know, terrestrial uh, insects and those kinds of things. That, um, they'll even have a you know, chomp on snails and things like that. Oh. So, oh. I like yes, You've got your radio on in the background there, Johnny. Can I get you just to... Switch that no, off. No, I haven't. Yeah. Oh, just, we can hear a... Uh... We're getting an echo. Yeah. Okay, I'll get you off. Is that better? Oh, it is. Uh, were, were we on speaker? Yes. We can, yeah. Okay. The so... joys of live radio. Oh, always, Johnny, yeah. <laughs> no, definitely, we can hear ourselves uh, echoing. But that's that, that's all right. It's not, it's not severe. Okay. Okay. So just a wetland, like, would the moaning frogs be in, in other areas, perhaps... Well, where there's paper barks, but not necessarily considered a wetland. Yes, that's okay. right. They they live in they mainly live in the dry areas because they they actually um, they like eating those insects. The, the, uh, the, that's where they get their food from, and so that's a, that's a really good lead into you know why have a frog friendly garden is they're you know they're out there doing a lot of pest control for you. Mm. Um, so, you know, having a veggie garden with a habitat garden, a frog-friendly garden, is, is really a great benefit to not only yourself, but because um, you're actually interacting with nature and allowing nature to do its things. And that thing is, you know, you, they're doing pest control for you. They love cockroaches. They oh. love slaters, you know. So um, they're all these yeah, are that, good things, yes. We, yeah, we that's right. Want that's them right. Yes. Yeah, and you know, there's nothing like walking out. Probably the motorbike frog is the in an urban landscape. The motorbike frog is probably the most common frog that um, people have interactions with in their ponds. And you know, they're a big frog. They they mm. can um, they're quite gregarious. You know, they they show themselves during the day. Because um, if you you know constructing a, a frog friendly garden, you, you put in logs, you know, put in um, horizontal logs and things like that going across the pond, and they'll they'll use those uh, logs to bask on, and um, and if there's a threat, they can just jump straight in the water. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, probably to get on track with you know constructing a frog friendly garden, it's it's know your frogs. And know, know um, your location with regard to a wetland, if you do have a wetland nearby, or your house was, um, was located on a wetland, you may get some of the um, leftovers that have actually migrate, migrate through your place. And um, once it was their little place. So, you know, you could, you could easily put in a little frog-friendly garden to... Um, allow those little critters to actually keep on surviving. So, Johnny, uh, a lady, Lynn has just called in and she wanted to know how to attract frogs into a garden. Well, this is exactly what we're talking about, is about creating the habitat. Yeah, yeah. So, but for, uh, for a beginner and if they, are, uh, as far as they're aware, they have no frogs in their garden, I know we've discussed this before, what would be the first mm. few steps that you'd take? First step... Um, Walk around your garden, get to know, you know, your different spots where you think you might want to um, have a little spot for, for a pond. So no, no, make sure you, you look at, you know, where your sunlight's coming through. Your sunlight's very important. Um, if you have not enough sunlight, if you have too much shade, um, the male frogs won't, won't go there because the male frogs, um, they have to make sure their offspring survive. So... Frogs eat um, moving kind of animals, so you know terrestrial insects and other and invertebrates, you know. Um, but tadpoles eat algae, and the algae needs sunlight. So you need to make sure that um, you have adequate sunlight. So the, the usually the formula is during the winter you want to a nice northerly aspect and you want half to three quarters uh, of sunlight during the tadpole development. And then um, during the summer, you need to... You, dappled light is good. Um, so 
I would look at, you know, because the sun is directly overhead, you need to guard your westerly aspect and look at your easterly aspect as well because that's how the, where the sun you yeah, know, rises, rises and directly set. above. Yeah. <clears throat> so sometimes if you've got too much sunlight, you can do stuff with it. You know, you can put a shade sail up. So during the summer, you put the shade sail up and um, that covers it. And especially when it's being established, that's a pretty good idea. Um, so the position with regard to sunlight is very important. And the other thing is uh, tadpoles use those, uh, the sunlight and the temperature as triggers for metamorphosis. If you go and get a bunch of tatties and put them in the shade, uh, they, they most, most of the time they will not uh, metamorphosize because they don't have the indicators yeah. to, to uh, triggers <clears throat> as such to go to the next stage. So they'll, they'll basically be locked in a tadpole stage for years. So that can happen, I guess, Gosh. if they're being kept in a classroom. Is it? Would that be right? Yeah. Uh, look, um, I I don't know with you guys, but when I was a kid, I used to do that. I used to go down yes, to the wetland and I did. You know, yes. I cut my teeth on that stuff, and yeah. it's a shame that people, um, are, you know, there's animal welfare and those kinds of things that people uh, need to be aware of. But having a having tadpoles in an aquarium. And just placing it and understanding the life cycle and putting it in a spot where it gets adequate sunlight is a great thing to see. Mm. So yeah, you, if you if you had a a pond that was or an aquarium that was in the wrong spot, didn't have enough sunlight at the right time, you they wouldn't develop most of the time. Uh, and if you and the male frogs, as I'm getting as I was talking about. The, the male frogs won't go to that water body if it's got too much shade because they know what their kids want, you know, their offspring um, need. So they need that algae to, to, yeah. to um, yeah, get through. Are there any special so, plants that you would have in a pond to um, oh. for, for tadpoles or, or for frogs themselves? Yeah, look, I've got a list of of, um, uh, of plants that um, when you're looking at your pond area, you've got to divide it up into zones. So you've got the deeper water area. Um, so I call that the submergent uh, kind of plants and the plants that can live in that area. Um, yeah. You know, you've got water all year round uh, and they can tolerate wet, wet feet. Yeah. Um, all year round. So there's mm. <coughs> a whole lot of um, different Western Australian plants that uh, you can actually um, get and I can, from from local nurseries uh, in Perth that can tolerate yeah. that. I've yeah. actually got a list I can send through to you, uh, Faye. I think uh, you probably already have. Yeah. Mm. Yep. So I can share so that next... under the Facebook sure. post. Okay. Um and then, so we went from submergent, the deep, deeper part of the pond that has water in it all the time, to the emergent plants. And this is where it gets really exciting because the emergent plants, um, they, they have water in it like a... Uh, they can get free water happening in the winter, but during the summertime, the, the levels in the ponds go down and it mimics uh, a real wetland, you know. And you can get... Uh, a whole lot of species of local plants that even flower. And um, so they're not only sedges and rushes, but they are, are like herbaceous kind of plants. And when you when you invite, when you get that kind of thing happening, you invite a lot of other uh, critters into your garden because of this boggy substrate and it has such this diversity of plants in it. So um, in that boggy area... Um, you you invite a lot of the insects. They they suck the sand. They they have this mineralised sand. So as soon as you start um, getting that boggy kind of substrate happening with this kind of design, um, you invite a lot of um, really beneficial insects such as um, butterflies and 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 native bees and 
they in turn uh, are pollinators. So um, so they they can they can add to your frog friendly garden quite quite a lot. And that's probably um, where my story part of my story was like you know oh, I'm going to make a frog pond, but then all of a sudden um, a lot of other animals come in, mm. and so you go oh, uh, but you understand also that the frogs like a bit of um, uh, they don't like water all the time because they are, it's a reflection of our environment mm. and our, we live on the driest inhabited continent on this planet so they've adapted and so water all the time is not a good not a not not good for a diversity of frogs but um you you incorporate a boggy substrate um you get a lot of other animals in the system and those animals that come in are in turn food for the frogs so they don't have to go too far so johnny talking about food for, for frogs and tadpoles and them being food for other things, what fish can you put safely in a frog pond? Um, the native fish are good. So, <clears throat> you know, we, we my learning my learning curve has been quite sharp in my early days of going down to uh, a wetland and catching these fish that we gambusia um, and thinking that they're native. But they're they're not, and they're quite detrimental to um, to tadpoles and other native fish. So um, I would I wouldn't recommend people go down to a wetland, a creek, to catch these little fish that people call think that are native. Mm-hmm. They're called gambusia or mosquito fish, or mm-hmm. we used to call them minnows. Yeah, yeah. Um, pygmy perch yeah. are really um, well adapted to living in a small pond area and if you get like you can in a small pond um probably a meter across um you can you can put four you can put between two and four uh pygmy perch in there and um they they will they will love it they school along and they do all kinds of things when you watch them they um yeah and and if you get the males and females they'll they'll breed up and you can you know, you can give them to your friends to if when they make their um, frog-friendly garden. So they they eat mosquito larvae, and um, they also eat if you've got um, little crustaceans in your system, like little um, joogies and things. They'll eat these little growths on them, like Timocephala. Um They look like little anemones. So they they're like a they're like a freshwater cleaner rat. Mm. Like them too, and and they love mosquito larvae um so yeah it's a bit of you put goldfish in the goldfish will go they love they love uh frog <laughs> frog larvae for oh, tadpoles yeah and and eggs and also the goldfish um goldfish are related to carp so the, the, the they like to you know um chew on the on the ground on the on the bottom and start mm, to mm. silt up stuff so um yeah, so carp or, or goldfish, um, not recommended. Uh, and so, yeah, pygmy perch are highly recommended. And there's a couple of really good aquarium places um, through around the metro area. So um, I guess uh, on my info sheets, they actually, information sheets, they actually have those. Well, I will, uh, I will share links to that under the yeah. today's Facebook page. Um, Cheers, yeah. And I'm just updating that because there's another place in um, Coburn Central called um, Paces, yes. uh, Paces uh, Aqua, and they they actually specialise in native fish. Really um, interesting concept this guy has um, brought to the table, uh, promoting native fish mm. and other kinds of native um, aquatic uh, animals. So... Location is really important, but the other thing you've got to consider is your your neighbours and um, when they're going to be breeding uh, and sleep. Oh, absolutely. One one of the questions I had last night was about frogs being outside the bedroom window, but I'm very mindful of the fact that we need to go to a break, Johnny. Um, Sure. So 
This will be just part of a series on developing frog ponds and then perhaps moving into habitat if that's all right with yeah. you, if you'd like to continue with us to share with the listeners about frogscaping and, and habitat gardening. Sure. And yep. what we'll do, um, Johnny, is create a compilation of the chats we've had with you and put them all yep. together and then listeners can listen to a podcast and we'll have it just dedicated to this chat and so that people can go back and listen to the whole series if that's all right with you. Yeah, fabulous. All right, we need to disappear. Thank you so much. Let you get on with your weekend and we look forward to okay. speaking to you again very, very soon. Take care of yourself. Cheers. Thanks, okay. Johnny. Thank you. Bye for Cheers. now. Bye for them. We have Johnny Perfumo online now. He is the frog doctor. You may recall previous chats that we've had with Johnny. Good morning. How are you? You're with Ray and Faye. Hello, you two. <laughs> Good morning. Now, Johnny, where are we talking to you from today? Last time it was Jalorup and before that it was Albany. Are you still on the road? Uh, well, I've just come back. Uh, I live in Shark Bay, so I've just oh. come down uh, yesterday from Shark Bay to Perth for the uh, rally to um, retain the um, Perth Cultural Centre wetland. Yes, right. uh, You know about that? Yes. Uh, Tell us quickly a little bit about it. Well, the the wetland, actually, myself and Josh Byrne um, designed, built that back in 2010. And uh, so what it is, it's a really good example of what you can do in your own backyard. And it's a showcase of you know, our natural environment within a highly modified area. And, Mm. you know, it's such a celebration. They have all kinds of events there and you can really get an idea of what you can bring into your garden in the urban area just by going there and seeing the concepts. You know, the concepts are based and and, because you've got little cringes there, little picking frogs. And the clicking frogs are one of those more advanced kind of um, frogs that you need, that you, it's more of an advanced kind of frogscaping uh, species. But yeah, there's all kinds of insects and you can see that the sedges and rushes have been trampled because of the water birds that have made nesting habitat there. Wow. Yeah. So it's, uh, you you look at it and it's a snapshot of what our wetlands, uh, you know, what they do. In, in in a natural setting, and why we set it up there was um, to provide pollination services to the orchard garden that's over the way. So the invertebrates are quite important in the um, establishment of of that wetland. So when when I was developing the plant palette, it was uh, a lot of species that would attract you know the invertebrates. So when you when you go there today, so we we're talking vertebrates. So they're the ones that are, you know, they're insects and they're spiders and they're, you know dragonflies. And so they're not only pollinators, but they're they're predators, beneficial predators. So um, there's there's this really good system in that's that's an example of what you can do in your own garden. So they want to. Um, you know, demolish that because there's a leak and it's costing them lots. And and without really thinking, well, maybe we should look at, you know, fixing it and keeping it as a showcase mm. for not only, you know, uh, us but tourists that come to our cultural centre because our culture is based on our natural heritage. Our natural heritage is our nat- national heritage. And, yeah, it's... um. Getting, it's got momentum. Mandy Bamford and her crew organised it and it was a good turnout. So so what time is that on? That was on last night. Okay, good. Yes. Mm. Yep. So you can check out the Save Our Urban Wetland um, Facebook page and things like that. I can send you the details. Okay, thank you, Johnny. Yeah. yeah. So there, there, of course, is other solutions. You don't have to destroy something. You can... Repair, revegetate, yeah. um, and the fact that you actually created a wetland, and and it's worked, and all these critters have come is, yeah, quite a, a credit to all those involved, and as you say, a showcase. So, yeah, in a built-up yeah. environment, yeah, that's <laughs> a huge, 
huge coup. Yeah. yeah, and there's all kinds of people that go there to just sit and get a bit of nature and yeah, uh, yeah. yeah it's, I love that. Uh, it's kind of yeah. Mm. So. Uh, and I'm I'm down here. I'm doing a habitat garden install tomorrow at the uh, Piney Lakes Eco Event. So I'm just going to get that set up today. And so I go through the principles and not much insulation tomorrow, but get my hands dirty today. And then uh, I've got the Bustleton Flower and Garden Wildflower Garden Show next Saturday. Giving a talk down there. Oh, you You're are busy. a busy man. We're mm. lucky to to get you. So, Johnny, in our last two episodes, The Beginner's Guide to Frogscaping, mm. we've talked about knowing your frogs and uh, we've covered the moaning frogs, the slender tree frogs and the motorbike frogs, which are common around the Perth area. We've also talked about water, where to locate it, its importance yes. uh, and their food, the the importance of the insects, the pollinators and the predators and plants that you need to to encourage all those things. And logs. Now, we've talked about the horizontal logs. We haven't talked about the vertical logs so much. Yeah. So now we're going into actually, yeah, okay, I'll, we'll look at the logs and then I want to get closer to the ground. Okay. So the... the um, Vertical logs are really important because that uh, is, and and what you can do with those vertical logs, you can place a bird bath on those if you wanted. Yes. Or you can leave them as they are because, and um, y there's there's two things with that. Look, birds will start to use that water body as a place to not only um, get water but to you know preen themselves and yeah. have a bath. Mm. So. Uh, that's that's one great thing. There's so they use that pole as a kind of in. When I call in, they usually sit there before they go into the the um, and get their drink and things like that. So they're always looking out for predators and and uh, they, they they take turns as well. These the birds take turns uh, and they have a particular way of uh, coming in. Um, so yeah, if you look at bronze-winged pigeons in my backyard and they have a certain circuit that they do. Um, so those those vertical poles are quite uh, important for the in, for the birds to get an in. The, uh, the other thing with those poles is that you can drill holes in them. So this is talking about the um, mainly the native bees and our native bees are quite solitary. But the females um, use those holes uh, to put their uh, eggs eggs in and so we've got about 350 odd species of native bees just in the southwest and we've got about 1700 species in western australia and so there's there's a whole variety of holes that you need to you know yeah you need to drill um and you need to put them in different depths so to about uh 30 millimeters to 35 millimeters and widths diameter of the drill is varies as well. So you can go from about six mil right up to about uh, 18, no, not 18, probably about 11 to 12 mil. And the first year you do that, so it's coming up, It's because it's spring, the equinox is last uh, Saturday. Yeah. So that's the first day of spring. Mm -hmm. And uh, <clears throat> we, we, you want to, that's the trigger for a lot of species to start to awaken. And, and it's, it means that our native bees are going to start to be active. And so where you position that, um, you might want to put a few vertical logs into your system with holes. Mm. Now, vertical logs and, and using them, and those holes are actually a better outcome for native bees than the bee hotels, simply because the thermal um, insulated properties of, those, of that wood uh, is a lot better than having them in, like, bamboo and... Um, Quite quite thin uh, dowel. The other thing is, when when you get uh, wasps, predatory wasps come along, they come along and it's like because you've got those bee, bee hotels, everything's all together. They just it's, come along and go. Tuk, 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 take it's them a smorgasbord, isn't it? Everything's yeah. there ready for them. <laughs> yeah. So the bee, the poles, the vertical poles with holes, uh, is a good. 
thing for the native bees. And those native bees, you can get native bees that are quite specific in the what, what they pollinate. So they, po- they can pollinate native plants only, but then you get other native bees that can pollinate both production, as in your fruit and veggies, and uh, native plants, such as your blue banded bees. So what I like to do is <clears throat> put a few holes in of varying diameters and then see what works, diameters and depths, see what works that year. And then next year, once you see what's worked in your garden, come back and put some more holes based on what has worked. So, yeah, the vertical poles are very important. And also lizards like to bask on them. Mm. So they're another uh, important little uh, critter in your garden that does things. So when you – I want to get down closer to the soil surface itself because advanced frogscaping is about having like a succession of, of things happening, of plants having grown and – then once the plants are growing, uh, they drop their leaves. And the leaf litter on that ground is really important because a lot of the insects use that leaf litter not only to to munch on, but they use it for protection um, from rain and and the sun as well. And as soon as you, when you walk out and you actually do some rummaging around in the wetland, and amongst the leaf litter, you get a high variety, high diversity of invertebrates. And what eats invertebrates? Frogs love invertebrates. And if they don't have to go too far, that's the important thing, especially with the more habitat-specific frogs, such as your little clicking frogs that you've got at the Perth Cultural Centre. If you go there there in the next few weeks, you'll actually hear a cacophony of uh, clicking frog chorus during the day oh because mm. i i know i've heard them at night time in in the southwest um mm. yeah and yeah actually in the day as well where there's yeah. lots of water and reeds and it's a, a lovely sound yeah yeah the boys are quite that particular frog is one frog that's a great frog to put in the urban habitat garden because they're so that they can what what can trigger them uh, to call because there's frogs have got like a variety of calls. The main call is you know for for mating to attract a mate, but then there's territorial calls, and then there's a call for uh, being a, uh, predators around. Mm. So um, yeah, it's a variety of the territorial and mating calls that you'll get uh, out of those frogs that you hear at the Perth Cultural Centre. So check check it out when you can there, listeners. So who are the predators for the those little clicking froglets? The predators, well, you've got predation happening at an egg stage and a tadpole stage. Mm. Uh, and, and, and 95% of frog biomass, when I say frog biomass, it's at the egg, tadpole and adult stage, is actually food for other animals. It's soft protein. So... Yeah, it's it's something that people don't like the idea of hearing that their cute frogs are, are, are food a food source, but uh, you know there's lots of birds, there's other frogs. If you've got a lot of motorbike frogs, they'll actually eat a lot mm. of your your frogs in. But yeah, there's there's birds, there's snakes, there's um, yeah reptiles, there's um, all kinds of and and there's also invertebrates. Such as you know your dragonfly larvae, uh, your, your your mayfly larvae um, that are vicious uh, predators and um, well vicious predators. They're they're, they're just predators that um, they're high order predators in the wetland and uh, will eat tadpoles um, okay. and the, and the, and the eggs as well. So yeah. But the, the leaf litter is quite important. If you don't have that leaf litter as well, uh, you can actually bring some in. I, and and gum, gum tree leaf litter is good. Uh, and, and what it will do is it will release a, um, its, its, its tannins into the water. And tannins are a natural allergy side as well. So you're getting like many benefits just by having um, leaf litter. And that also suppresses the weeds. 
So then you kind of, um, yeah, we, we're kind of, you, you're looking at a lot of our frogs that are very habitat specific and um, <clears throat> like living in that leaf litter is, uh, that's their colour, their thorny colour, they're brown. They're, they're designed to camouflage in with leaf litter. Well, Johnny, you've got me um, enjoying my leaf litter a little bit, bit more. more now. I've kind of, <laughs> I've switched my thinking to cursing the gum leaves to mm, your habitat for my frogs. <laughs> Just be wary of the plant, of the leaf, of the plant that you're getting the leaf litter from. Myrtaceae, as in you, you, eucalypts and you, and and those kinds of plants that you can smell that have the eucalyptus yeah. smell, uh, are fine. But you wouldn't want to be putting something like euphorbiae, white sap, no. uh, or leander, and you know um, that type the, of the white yeah. sap kind of yeah. stuff. So mm-hmm. just be wary of what what's going in there. And if you're putting deciduous leaves in there, that's a high nitrogen kind of dump. So that can cause to uh, water um, degradation. You know, the reduced water quality. So yeah, be mindful of the type of leaf leaves that you're using mm-hmm. uh, in that in that area. But leaf litter is, is very fundamental to attracting and accommodating. And don't forget, once you once you move your way out and you're putting in more terrestrial plants, less big reds, less big reds. Yep, as in the flowers? Yes. Yes. Uh, as in because invertebrates do, don't generally see red. What you'll do is you'll attract the noisy rainbow lorikeets and the aggressive um, nectivorous birds. So, and 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 even less uh, grevilleas, especially the cultivar grevilleas. The the blood on those grevilleas, the, the sap is is quite toxic, and that's why you get that uh, allergic reaction. Yeah. So, there's so many other plants, you know, and you've got to look at prickly plants. Prickly plants. Throw your prickly plants in um, in a bit of a randomised manner, in a in a bit of a just think of a small bird coming in to get some water and I like to throw some pebbles over my shoulder to actually work out where those small birds are going to come in. They will use those prickly plants as an in. And, you know, we have domesticated animals such as um, cats that are pretty amazing, efficient predators. So prickly plants uh, are really good in your garden. You've got like various um, upright hemiandrous snake bush. Yes. That's that's really good. You've got the hakeas, they're really good. You've got a variety of um, acacias that are quite prickly. And and, and also with that, um, use some small creepers. Uh, the small creepers will grow in amongst the, and once they try to find the sunlight, little birds use that as a thoroughfare. So it's kind of, and also the native bees, we talked about the female native bees, but the male native bees use those tendrils on those creepers they sleep together, so they sleep on the males sleep together, and they um, they hang on with their mandibles, their jaws, and that's how they sleep. So you're ticking off a lot of things by just looking at what the invertebrates can see and how they use it, but also the small timid um, birds. So you've got like um, you've got wrens. If you're near a reserve, you you could potentially have wrens and robins and grey fantails and things like that. But then you've got timid nectivorous, insectivorous birds. So the, the nectivores that we see, such as your um, New Holland honey eaters, they're quite aggressive, but they are insectivore nectivores. They still need insects in their diet, especially when they're uh, um, fledglings and they and, and that re- retains their colour. So... Um, yeah, it's important to understand that those small honey eaters and the timid ones are such as the brown honey eaters and the western spinebills and things like that. If you're going to have, like, my favourite plants to provide nectar for them is the different types of adamantus, the woolly bushes. Mm. They have got a small red flower on them and they, and what what the aggressive nectivores won't do is they won't set up a uh, territory around them because they're nectar guarders and they're quite aggressive the way they um, guard that nectar. Johnny, so, you have ticked a lot of boxes and I'm sure 
you know, listeners, are th- well, I can't wait to get home and <laughs> do more with my pond area and put in some more vertical logs with more bird baths. Mm. But you're so inspiring and you've given us so much information. And John will put this together. He'll compile the three chats that we've had yeah. and make it available as one podcast mm. to to help people put together their their frogscapes. We're just about out of time. But thank you so much. I yes. know we could talk all day. We could talk for two hours and just sit back and listen to you, Johnny. You're brilliant. Oh, thanks. All right. Well, have a good day. What well, good doing? luck with all Getting of your endeavours. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Thanks so much. Thanks, Johnny. All right. Bye for now. Um, as we were just discussing, we're speaking to Jodie Rowley. What can you tell us about her as her lead-in? Well, um, everyone loves frogs and Jodie is very passionate. I've come across her um, radio interviews and talking about uh, a disease that was affecting frogs, actually. Mm. But Frog ID Week is about engaging citizens, so she'll tell us more about that. Okay. Jodie, good morning. You're with Ray and Faye. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's lovely to have you here and, and how exciting. So you're the lead scientist uh, in Frog ID Week, I am indeed. So yeah, very very lucky to get to work not just by myself um, or with the team at the Australian Museum, but with tens of thousands of people across Australia and helping understand and conserve our frogs. And how does it work, Jody? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's all based around the Frog ID app that you can download for your smartphone, uh, and the fact that. Every frog species has a different call. So we've got 249 frog species in Australia uh, and each one makes a a very different call. Uh, And and Perth has some fantastic examples uh, Mm. and and surrounds them some really different calls. So all you have to do, download the app whenever you hear frogs calling, press record, uh, record their calls for for 20 seconds um, and then submit that. You don't need to know for sure that it's a frog or what frog it is. Uh, a team of experts at the Australian Museum, including myself, will then listen to those recordings, identify the frog species in it, uh, and together we're building a massive database. We're really hoping to reach one million records of frogs uh, in just over six years. So we're hoping this year we will crack one million. Uh, And, of course, this is Frog ID Week. We're almost at the end, midnight Sunday. Uh, So tomorrow, midnight tomorrow, uh, is the last day of Frog ID Week and that's when we're trying to get this really good annual snapshot of how our frogs are doing. Wow. And it's not just a one-way app, so it's not just about us recording and and sending the data to you. I've looked and used the app and we can actually click on the different frogs and listen to their sounds and just about identify some of them ourselves, can't we? Yeah, definitely. And you learn pretty quick, you know, what frogs are around you. So it's a great way to get the, you know, the kids involved as well um, out there sort of learning what frogs make, make what noises. Uh, it's a field guide as well. So uh, you can filter it by near, near you and, and you can just see the species that are likely to be in your area and you can look at all the cool frogs in Australia, see their photos, listen to their calls and learn more about them. But yeah, it, it definitely the main, I guess the main purpose is, yeah, recording frog and if you can match it with the calls and um, let us know what what frog it is otherwise we'll we'll let you know i know that we've got lots of tadpoles at the moment um and i was wondering about the um we have to be careful about not moving them to different areas yeah so it seems tempting especially if you build a pond in the yard not to to wait for frogs to move some local frogs from uh you know down the creek or in a dam or something like that but it's, it, depending on where you are in Australia, it, it's usually uh, not allowed to, to do that. Uh, but also, it's just crazy how if you build something, frogs will come. Oh, you know, I built yeah. a pond in, in my backyard. Within three months, I had three different species calling in it. So they're, they're sort of bouncing around. And, and in order to not sort of spread disease or, or sort of introduce species that shouldn't be in, in your exact area, um, it is best just to wait for the frogs to, to come themselves. And Jodie, why are frogs so important? Well, they're a really important part of healthy ecosystems. Yeah. So even though they're kind of tiny themselves, they should be pretty common. Uh, so if you sort of get out in a flood or in the, in the outback, you realise just how, how many frogs are around the place. Um, and they're a really important thing for connecting freshwater and terrestrial ecosystems, energy flows, food webs. 
So uh, frogs are eaten by a lot of things. They help support the birds, reptiles, mammals. Um, tadpoles help compete with mozzies. And they also um, keep the algae down in, in streams and creeks as well. So uh, we desperately do need frogs. They are a vital part of, of ecosystems. And when they disappear, it sort of has a whole knock-on effect, um, which we, we don't want to have. And in Australia, we don't have a great track record in frog conservation. We've already lost at least four, probably more like eight different species. And, uh, and why is that? Why is threatened? Yeah. Uh, a combination of things, uh, but disease is a really big one. So, you, yeah, you mentioned before, we, we believe that we somehow introduced an amphibian disease called the amphibian chytrid fungus into Australia, maybe in the 70s, uh, and it sort of was spread around the world at that time. Uh, and our frogs were not, did not evolve with that, so they were hit really, really hard. Um, but frogs are also habitat loss and modification, introduced species, climate change. Uh, you know, they are very, very sensitive indicators of, of habitat quality, environmental quality. So, we, you know, I guess frog ID is, is, yes, it's about the frogs and it's about their calls, but it's also a great way of monitoring sort of your ecosystem health and environmental health as a whole because frogs are just so sensitive. So what does it mean if, say, for example, you don't really find any frogs in your yard that you're not aware of any? What would that suggest? Well, you'll only sort of hear them if you've got somewhere probably where they think they can breed, whether that's, uh, you know, a pond or a creek or something like that. But if you have something like that and you don't hear frogs ever, uh, you know, not even after rain at night, which is the best time, then it might be a bad sign in, in terms of the, the sort of water quality, the habitat quality in the area. So it definitely would be a much better sign if you had frogs croaking at, you know, different times of year, especially after rain. Mm. Okay. So we're not we're not going to hear them all croaking right now, are we? No. So it, it I guess particularly in in WA there tends to be sort of or in Perth and the Southwest there tends to be sort of two rounds of frogs. So there's the the spring and summer frogs. So you get things like the motorbike frogs now uh, calling, uh, and then you'll get like a whole different other set of frogs um, calling pretty much in in sort of autumn when you get those autumn rains. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, you you we are there are frogs calling um, in Perth and WA and, and everything at the moment. Um, most certainly, we're getting a lot of submissions from Frog ID Week. Oh, great. Uh, so yeah, it's um yeah really great to get out there and, and have a bit of listen in your local park or uh, local creek or dam. Um, there are frogs calling right now. Yes, I did have an interesting um, night one night where I heard, I thought I heard a duck quacking, and when I sort of googled what quacks at night because I know our ducks don't really, um, turns out there's a quacking frog. Who would have thought? So aptly named. I know there's actually, I think Perth has, or in sort of southwest WA, has a lot of really aptly named frogs, you know, like the quacking frog, the rattling froglet. But, you know, everything's kind of the hooting frog, the moaning frog. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of frogs that are named after the noises they make. And the moaning frog is one of my favourite, that sort of Yeah. <laughs> and Jody, how did you start? How did you get involved? What, why, why your passion for frogs? I just fell in love with how amazing they were. You know, I grew up yeah. in the city in Sydney and, and I didn't really see frogs. Um, and it wasn't until I started going out camping with my friends at university, seeing these amazing creatures and then kind of at the same time realising how much trouble they were in and how important they were mm. uh, that I decided to do whatever I could to, to help save our awesome amphibians. Well, you're doing a great job. Your, your passion comes through and you just, yeah, you bring it all to life. So we're very pleased to have you on our show today and, and talk to our listeners about frogs and how they can help with Citizen Science and the Frog ID app. I'll download it uh, today because I definitely heard a lot of frog activity in my garden during the week in the, in the evening. And there was, uh, you know, quite a bit of calling going on. So I will definitely sit and record that. It'll be fun. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> All right, Jody. we'll let you get back to your weekend. Thank you so much for joining us. Actually, we've just got a quick question for you. Mm -hmm. One of our listeners has rung in. Um, she's asking how to help frogs get out of her pond. Uh, okay, so that it, it does seem strange sometimes that frogs can drown in water because you think they're very aquatic. But a lot of frogs are not that great in water. They can't swim for that long. Uh, and they need sort of either shallow sides or something that they can climb up. So if you're a very steep-sided pond or pool or things like that, right. you can buy uh, these sort of little floating laddery things that, that help wildlife get out of pools or just sort of chuck in some 
sort of some wood or something like that that the frogs are then able to sort of climb out of. Um, so they, they, they yeah. not not all of them have toe pads. They can't all climb up steep sides. Yeah. Some can, but not all of them. So, yeah, giving them a bit of a nice sort of easy access, um, it really helps things. And I, I have a friend I was talking to the other day and she's actually got tadpoles in her water feature. Mm, yeah. We have tadpoles right now. She's been putting uh, an umbrella up and everything to keep the water <laughs> nice and cool for them. Yeah, yeah. so it's very, it's very cute. But yeah. they like oh, algae in their water for food too. Yeah, yeah so you need some yes. sun. Mm, yeah. Yes, it's usually better not to feed the tadpoles. I know people, you know, you can put boiled lettuce and things like that in, but that oh. can make the water quality pretty bad. Usually there is enough algae and things that the tadpoles will sort their cells out. They're, they're, you know, the frogs obviously thought it was a good enough place for their babies. So yeah, usually, usually I see. Okay. Oh, interesting stuff. All right. <laughs> now we really will let you go. Thank you so much for your time this morning, Jody. My Jodie. pleasure. Thank okay, you. Okay, go well. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.